Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderl. Hello and welcome to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Winderl, and as we are moving into fall here after a really crazy year, or in the middle, I guess, of a still very crazy year, um, I just want to remind everybody, take a deep breath, plant both your feet on the ground, relax your shoulders away from your ears, and just take three deep breaths into your belly and let go of any of the tension that you're holding in your jaw, your neck, your face. And then shake it off. I find myself needing little daily reminders like this several times a day <laughs> to, to try and make sense of this craziness. But welcome. Um, I am so excited to share this very special episode with you. And before we get into it, just a few things from the Atman Yoga School. We have a lot of exciting things coming up starting in 2021. We're expanding our programs this year. Uh, our 200-hour vinyasa and Ayurveda yoga teacher training starts in Trondheim, in Oslo, and in Bergen, all in January. So if you or someone you know is interested in joining our community and diving into inquiry and teaching and yoga and Ayurveda and philosophy, then give us a shout at hello at atmanyogaschool.com, and we can send you some more info about registering for that. We also are launching our 340-hour advanced training. Again, the next round starts in May 2021. And if you're interested in joining us for that training, but have done your 200-hour training at another school, then uh, the prerequisite is to attend our five-day intensive vinyasa teacher training, which will be in March. So things to think about if you are ready to uh, be present. All right, so today's episode is my birth story, and I'm coming up on the end of the fourth trimester. It's been almost 12 weeks since, probably 12 weeks by the time this airs, um, since I have given birth and my beautiful son has arrived here, Earthside. And I'm still in the middle of, of processing and thinking, and I know this is going to take a really long time, but... I've also been filling the pull to share my story more in depth. Uh, about a few weeks after he was born, I shared a bit on Instagram and knew that I needed to give myself a little bit more time to really feel into the experience and let the layers of everything that happened um, settle a bit more. And now I, I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm ready to share the story. And one thing I want to say too is, is this is my story. And every single experience of conception, of pregnancy, of delivery, of postpartum is very different and individual. And that's all I can do is speak to my experience and share share what happened, share what I've been doing, what's worked for me, things that I was surprised didn't work. And I hope you enjoy it. Um, this is all a very personal episode. And I'm feeling really called to share more about the experience of being a woman who carries and delivers and nurtures a baby because what I have experienced through this process has been incredibly eye-opening, both on a personal level but also on a community-wide level. And frankly, how little women are supported 
in our modern society. And it made me so sad to see and continues to make me sad to see as I hear more stories of women who are mothers and and things that have happened to them or with them during this whole experience for them. So I'm very honest in, in sharing my experience. And so if you're listening and, and maybe something doesn't resonate with you or you don't like what I say, please just be kind about it. Um, this is just my experience and my opinion. And one thing I'll say too, if you have not listened to my conscious conception episode that was in season four, please go back and listen to that one too. There might be some interesting information there for you. Um, Also, I guess I should say as well that season five of this podcast will start again in January. This episode is just a special edition, Mama Edit. So here we go. So my due date was July 9th, and I was so convinced that my son was going to come a little early. Um, First of all, I was a first-time mom, but I'm also an older mom. Uh, I was 39 when I delivered my baby, and well, I'm still 39, but oftentimes I had read that older moms sometimes labor starts earlier, but then labor can oftentimes be longer or a little bit more complicated. And even though my pregnancy, I was, I was very sick through most of it. Um, I think in general, my pregnancy was easy compared to, I guess, other stories I've heard. Um, my son was the, uh, quite healthy until the end of the pregnancy and everything was fine. And towards the end of the pregnancy, the last month, um, they discovered that, that he was having some irregularities with his heartbeat. And so they wanted to really closely monitor that. So it's kind of crazy in total throughout my entire pregnancy, I think I had eight or nine ultrasounds and in Norway, it's typical to have one, maybe two, if you, um, pay for it and and go to a private clinic. And I did go to a private clinic a couple of times just over various concerns that I had throughout the pregnancy. But then also as an older mom, they do tend to keep more of an eye on you and and checking how things are going. And they do genetic testing and a bunch of other tests as well. Um, And so the last month, everything had been super healthy and perfect right up until that time. And so it was kind of a little shocking and scary to hear that there might be a problem with his heart especially because in my family, um, my grandfather died of a, of a heart rhythm irregularity very young. My brother recently um, had a very serious incident with his heart and a heartbeat irregularity and had to have heart surgery. And so it's, it's a concern in my family. And so to hear that my little baby son might have some kind of a heart issue was, you know, pretty upsetting. But thank God for yoga, thank God for meditation. And the perspective that these practices give us in terms of even when we're in the middle of something very challenging or scary or upsetting, we still have the ability to remind ourselves to breathe. (laughs) We have the strength, we have the inner reserves to help us navigate navigate life. And, And so you know, everything, especially as a first-time mom, is so, you know, it's so new and it's so foreign. You're like, ah, I don't know. And so it was, that was definitely like, okay, something that we need to just keep an eye on. And 
then we knew that as soon as the baby was born, he was going to have to go and have testing and, and have things looked at. So we were like, okay. Anyways, I thought he was going to be born early. He wasn't. On the morning of July 9th, uh, let's see. I went to bed the evening of July 8th and I was feeling really good. And I actually was feeling so good, in fact, that I had a lot of energy and I stayed up a little later than I normally do. Uh, normally I'm at my nine, 10 at the very, very latest. And I think I stayed up until like 12.30, almost one o'clock watching terrible, trashy TV. I almost don't want to say it, but I'm going to. I was watching The Real Housewives. Oh, man. And then finally I turned my t the, the computer off. I was like, oh, God, Jessica, go to bed. Guess what? Two o'clock, I wake up and I'm having a lot of pain in my low back. And I was like, huh, that's kind of unusual. I haven't experienced this yet. And I, you know, of course, I'm, I'm on like intense baby watch. So I'm like, oh my God, is this it? Is this it? Is it starting? And everything I had read said, if, if your labor starts in the middle of the night, you should really just try and sleep and go back to bed. And, you know, it's going to be some time and you need to rest as much as possible. And, and I was trying to just figure out, I'm like, is this painful? can I go back to sleep? Should I get up? Should I wake my husband up? I don't know. And so I just laid in bed for a little bit and, and then I was like, okay, try and go to sleep. And I couldn't sleep. The pain was a little too much or uncomfortable to allow me to sleep. And so I was like, okay, get up, go to the bathroom, walk around a little bit and try back going back to sleep. And I did everything you're not supposed to do, which is, of course, Google. And I was Googling, what do contractions feel like? Low back contractions, Braxton Hick low back. Um, I didn't experience any Braxton Hick contractions that I knew of throughout my pregnancy, so I didn't know what those felt like. So I was like, oh, maybe this is just Braxton Hicks. Maybe, you know, my body's just getting ready to go into labor. And so finally I was like, okay. I can't sleep. I'm just going to get up and we'll see what happens. And the funny thing is everything I had ever read about when labor starts, everybody said, oh, you'll know when your contractions start. Oh, you'll know when you're in labor. And I'm sorry, I didn't know I was in labor for hours and hours. I mean, at some point I figured it out, but you know, this idea that all contractions feel the same and that it's so exact that you're going to know without a hesitation that, oh, I'm in labor. That was not my experience. I mean, I didn't know I was, I didn't think I was in labor until even after I vomited from the pain. I was like, okay, well, maybe this is it. Um, you know, and they say, oh, and you'll know because maybe you'll have your bloody show and um, for somebody listening to this podcast who hasn't had a baby yet, I didn't know what it was. And the bloody show is, is when the contractions are coming, the uterus is contracting and, and the, the mucus plug at the cervix releases and it can be like a, a, a clump of blood. It can be a little bit of blood coming out, um, as the uterus is starting to prepare for the labor. So that's oftentimes a sign that you're in labor. And I didn't really have that happen. Either I had some blood, but it wasn't to the point of like, 
oh, I think this is it. So I had a lot of uncertainties for many hours. Like, is this it? Is this not it? I don't know. And and one thing that's crazy too is I think, I don't know if I have a high tolerance for pain. I always thought I had a low tolerance for pain. But again, maybe it's just a, a testament to the power of the of the breath and the mind and these practices of yoga that I've done for a really long time that allow me to kind of be in the moment, but also be detached from the moment in some ways. And I think it's the same thing that allowed me to navigate cancer treatment in a way that was, I I think, with a little bit of grace and a little bit of ease. So I get up and I go to the kitchen. It's the middle of the night. And I just decide to make myself some tea. And this was a really beautiful moment for me because the house was quiet. The dogs were sleeping. My husband was sleeping. And I'm just standing there kind of rocking side to side and Googling. <laughs> Still trying to figure out, am I in labor? Am I not in labor? At what point do I call my doula? I don't know. At what point should I wake my husband? And then finally, I was like, Jessica, just put the phone down and just be here and breathe and enjoy the stillness and the silence because this is probably it. And so that was really nice. I enjoyed that, that stillness. And then it started around three or four, nope, three o'clock. I started, I turned on my um, contraction app to start monitoring the contractions because they seemed what I thought were contractions and they were mostly in my back. And they were coming pretty regularly. And I was like, gosh, okay, why don't I just start keeping track in case these are contractions so that I can have an idea. And at that point, my contraction app was showing the contractions were coming between two and seven minutes. So they're kind of all over the place, but they were still pretty quick, I think. And I mean, generally you go to the hospital when your contractions are around four to five minutes apart. So some of my contractions were two minutes apart. Some of my contractions were seven minutes apart. And then I had a time where it was like 34 minutes in between. So there was some variation, but but it, they tended to be under the 10-minute mark between these contractions. And so I was just kind of wandering the house, drinking my tea, going to the bathroom and checking, walking, going to the bathroom and checking. <laughs> I don't remember petting my dogs, but I'm sure I did at some point. It's another reason why recording this episode is so important is because I want to make sure I get all the details down before I forget them. It's so true what everybody says is that you have your baby and you are in this this single-minded focus around this new, fresh little baby. And and very quickly, you forget. You forget the pain. You forget the upset. You forget everything that happens. And so it's like, okay, you got to really, if you have had a baby or you're about to have a baby, it's so important to write down your birth story and talk about it with people and really express your experience. Um, I think that's just so important. And, and as women, we should hold space for each other and listen to the stories and ask about the stories. And, and also as women, not be afraid to share the, the gruesome details or the very intimate details, because uh, 
news alert, giving birth is messy and it's gross in a lot of ways. (laughs) And so, you know, when we dumb it down, we're like, oh yeah, it was okay. It's like, whoa, you just completely took away power from the experience of giving birth, the most powerful human experience possible. Why wouldn't we be specific? Why wouldn't we share these details of, of, of potency? And it's, oh my God, it's the most incredible experience, even when it's challenging, even when you have trauma around it. And so for me, being able to share my experience is just so wonderful. And, and I want to make sure that I don't forget anything. So anyways, around six o'clock is when I had uh, the first time that I vomited. And I was like, okay, this might be time to wake up my husband. So I went and I woke him up. I was like, okay, I think, I think things are starting. Let's, you know, get up and, and get going. And, you know, we're both like looking at each other like, I don't know, what do we do? What do we do? I was like, when do I, when should I call the doula? Um, because of, of COVID-19, I had hired my doula before everything happened. And then of course, after everything happened, there are so many restrictions at the hospital and the women who gave birth right after the coronavirus shutdowns are the ones I feel the most terrible for. Um, Some of them weren't able to have their partners with them or their partners weren't able to be with them after having the baby. And by the time I delivered in July, they were allowing partners in and partners could stay in the hotel with you after. So at least there was that, but there was nobody else who was allowed in. And the restriction was once your partner got there, they couldn't leave. So you had to bring everything you needed with you for your hospital stay, for the labor. Like your husband or your partner couldn't leave and come back, leave and come back. Like you were stuck there. So we knew that our doula was going to come to our house while I was laboring here uh, before going to the hospital. And then by the time we got to the hospital, she was going to have to leave us. So we're, my husband and I are staring at each other and we're like, what do we do? Do we call the doula? Do we not call the doula? And, and the contractions were pretty regular, pretty painful, but not to the point where I was like, oh my God, this is labor. I was like, okay, well, I think we have quite a bit of time. So I think I, I think I called my doula maybe around 645, 7. Yeah, that sounds about right. And she said, well, just you know, hang out, keep doing what you're doing, call me when things get a little bit more intense. And, you know, she lived like an hour and a half away from us, so I had to let her know when I wanted her to come. And so I th- what happened was I think we just, my husband and I, we got up. I mean, honestly, my entire birth experience was very quiet. And I love that, and that's very much reflective of me and and who I am. You know, when I was in college and I was getting my freshman roommate assigned, and my biggest fear was that my roommate was going to be one of those people who has to sleep with music or the TV on. Uh, I have to sleep in in total silence. When I'm concentrating, like when I'm working at home and I'm doing emails and stuff, I typically don't have any music on or anything in the background. For me to focus, I prefer silence. I prefer no distractions. And so when the labor was starting and we were at home, 
I didn't have music on for most of it. I did have some music later on, but for the most part, it was just very, very quiet. And so I think my husband took the dogs out for a pee walk, fed them, got them outside in the dog yard, and we just kind of hung out. Um, I think I took a shower. I love water and I love heat. And, and I had this anticipation that I wanted to have a water birth. And so all along in my pregnancy, well, I'll back up, even before I got pregnant, I was in California this time last year and I had gone to a week-long kundalini retreat and I was doing all of these things as part of my conscious conception to prepare my body to carry a baby. And um, I had spent eight months preparing to get pregnant. And then I was very fortunate. I got pregnant very quickly. And while I was in California, I was hanging out with my cousin who's an OBGYN in California. And I told her that I was preparing to get pregnant and that my husband and I were going to try on the next ovulation cycle, which was the middle of October. And she said, I'm not going to give you any advice except for one thing. And she said, Jessica, please do not become attached to your birth plan. She said, the women who have the most difficult labors are in the most traumatic births are the ones who have this like really precise expectation on how everything's going to go down. And she said, just let it happen. And it'll be so much easier for your body to relax. And then that is when you have an easier birth. And I really thought a lot about that. You know, when I was, when I was visualizing my birth experience during my pregnancy and I was thinking about my birth experience, the thing that I think really helped me is I gave myself permission to change my mind at any time about anything. So I really gave myself space to just be in the moment and experience what came up. And I think I didn't even write my birth plan until like maybe two weeks before I had the baby. Um, I had an idea and I talked about it with my doula. I talked about it with my husband. And I had I actually had quite a bit of things that I was bringing with me that I was planning to use. And then surprise, surprise, <laughs> it was nothing like that. And yet I still, I had a very beautiful labor experience. It was the after part that ended up being a bit more challenging for me. But my, my, my hope was that I was going to have an unmedicated water birth. That was what I was wanting and, and to deliver my baby in the bathtub. And I had requested that nobody say anything if possible right when the baby was born and my hope had been I wanted my baby's first sound that he would hear to be the word om and I figured I probably wouldn't be able to say it and so I had asked my husband okay please right when the baby is born I want you just to hold him when they hand him to you before the umbilical cord is cut and for you to just whisper om and he was kind of like rolling his eyes. He's like, okay, fine. <laughs> I'll do that. <clears throat> Did that happen? No. Did any of that happen? No. And that's okay. Um, but I, I knew, I, I was, or I thought, I was like, okay, I probably am going to want to take a lot of showers. I'm going to want to be in a lot of water. So I did take a shower while we were still at home before my doula came. Um, 
And I remember it not being like that satisfying. It was okay, but it wasn't really like doing that much. So I got dressed and and we just sat on the couch and I think I drank a little tea and I got out the TENS machine and I started using that on my low back. It was okay. It didn't help very much. Um, there's a specific place that my osteopath had shown me where to place it and it's actually higher on the low back than I was thinking and that targets the muscles that connect to the uterus so there was actually a specific place so a TENS machine if you're not familiar it's like um electro pads that you can place on the body and they send little electromagnetic currents that stimulate the muscles so a lot of people a lot of athletes will use this a lot of people use it after a knee surgery because when it stimulates the muscles it helps with recovery and with labor of course it can help with um, pain management of the contractions and so I had tried that, and it didn't really work too much for me. Um, it was okay. And so finally, my, my doula came at around 10 o'clock, I believe, and I was in quite a bit of pain. I think I'd puked a second time by then. I was in quite a bit of pain, but again, it, it, I wasn't in the amount of pain where I was like, oh, my God, this is insane. It was just kind of like, oh, okay, this is starting to – to pick up. By the time the doula was there and things were definitely picking up more, my contractions were, were happening pretty frequently and I was definitely moaning through each contraction and it was just a lot of shuffling around. <laughs> shuffling around the house, shuffling to the bathroom, shuffling back to the couch, trying to breathe and just moaning through all the contractions. And um, the time that the doula was at my house was from about 10, 10 to 1, so three hours, she was with us at the house while I was laboring. And she made some food for me, some of the Ayurvedic food that I pre-prepared, and some tea and Honestly, like I couldn't eat much. I couldn't drink much. And then, let's see, then she she gave me a really lovely foot massage. And at this point, I was definitely going in and out. <laughs> My eyes were closed most of the time. And um, they would like just open little slits when I was like walking around. And I tried the TENS machine again. That didn't help at all. And it was just a lot of a lot of moaning and very deep animalistic vibrational sounds. I didn't, to my recollection, I didn't like scream during my labor at all in the way like you see in the movies. Um, maybe that is helpful for some women, but for me it was actually much more of a focused, deeper, guttural, vibrational frequency where I could feel those vibrations into the belly and down into the uterus and the pelvis. And for me, that actually helped with the pain a lot more than probably a, a more superficial scream that comes from the throat or the upper part of the chest. And yeah, my husband was hanging out. He was just kind of getting me water or then at some point, you know, we started to pack the bag and I, I asked the doula, I was like, okay, what, when should we call the hospital? Like, when should we go? And she was like, well, we can call them, but 
you know, I think you might still be a ways away. And, and it's all just so hard, especially the first time giving a, giving birth. Like you just don't know what to expect. You don't know how your body reacts in this situation since it's so new. And I started to get in a lot of pain and the, weird thing was though, all my contractions were still just in the back and the lower part of the back side of my pelvis. So I didn't feel like the front of my uterus was contracting. I didn't feel the types of contractions that you always hear about. And so that's why we all were like, well, gosh, I mean, maybe the labor is just not that far along. This is still probably just the beginning stages of the labor, just so hard to tell. And, but then I was, I was really getting into like quite a bit of pain. And, and so I was like, gosh, let's call the hospital and just see. And so we called the hospital and they were like, well, you know, you have to be at least four centimeters dilated before we'll take you in or no, I'm sorry, six centimeters dilated before we'll take you in. You know, your contractions need to be four minutes apart before we'll take you in. And, and at that point, my contractions were coming in between like two and five minutes but because they were on the back backside, it just, it was hard to tell what that meant. And so my doula was like, well, let's wait a little bit longer. So we probably called, I'm guessing maybe around like 12. And so we were trying to hold it out and just keep doing more labor at home. And, and I did, we put on a yoga nidra. I, I listened to a yoga nidra for a little bit. <clears throat> I didn't finish it. And it was a yoga nidra specifically for birth. And, and I liked it, but it was, honestly just more distracting than anything and then we tried a little bit of music and that didn't really matter to me at that moment like I was really going inward at this point and you know time starts to or time stops having any sort of linear meaning and everything's just very internal and it's just such a crazy experience because like Every minute seems to last for so long, and yet an hour goes by in a snap of the fingers. And so then at that point, I came into the bedroom. I remember I laid down on my side, and um, my doula was helping me do some movements with the legs and helping me rubbing the back a little bit. And at that point, the contractions were coming pretty quickly, like it it didn't seem like I had a lot of time in between them, but again, we just didn't know what that meant. And so finally I was like, I was like, and I could barely talk. And that was one of the things too, that the hospital said is like, um, you should be to the point in your labor when you can't really talk between the contractions. And I remember when I was at home, that particular part, when I was laying on the bed, it was getting harder for me to speak in between the contractions. But then that kind of tapered off, like laying down actually made everything worse. It was more painful for me to lay down. And we tried everything, putting the pillow between my legs, putting me on the other side, really building everything up to make me more comfortable and, and honestly just made me more uncomfortable. And then when I stood up again, the contractions, they still were coming, but I was actually able to speak in between them and everything was a lot calmer. But when I was laying down, I was like, okay, can we go to the hospital? Like I just, I was ready to go to the hospital. Just, I was ready for a change. I was ready for something to start happening because I was in pain and I just wanted 
to get going. And at that point, so we get everything ready, we get in the car, and, and I live almost an hour from the hospital. So that was a concern for me too, was like, what if something goes wrong with the labor? Um, driving to the hospital, the roads are pretty bumpy. And so every you feel every little jolt. And shout out to my husband. He actually did a phenomenal job driving us. I, I was actually really impressed how smooth he was. And we were in our doula's car, so she was driving us to the hospital because we only have, at that time, one car, and it was a two-seater. We hadn't, we'd been looking to buy a second car for a while, and the car that we bought, we had bought one, um, uh, like a SUV Land Cruiser, they, they kept having to um, make repairs on it. We had bought it secondhand or used and they were making repairs on it. And because of COVID, all the repairs kept getting pushed back, pushed back. And so we didn't get the car where we could put the car seat and have all of us in it in time before I went into labor. <laughs> so luckily our doula agreed to give us a ride and then Jonas's mom could pick us up when we left the hospital. So there's like all this logistics to try and figure out. And, you know, I had packed the hospital bag before you know, a few days before, but there were still things I wanted to take for the hospital that weren't quite ready. And some things got left at home, which was fine. And it, it was all kind of a shuffle and kind of a blur in my mind at this point. And, and we get in the car and I'm still tracking my contractions. The, the doula was using my phone app and, you know, the contractions are coming really quickly. I would say every two to four minutes. And, I mean, even actually maybe even less. There were some that were maybe even only a minute apart. Um, I looked back through my contraction app a few weeks ago, and I was pretty surprised how fast the whole record was. Um, but I could, even though I was I was moaning and my eyes were closed the whole time, I still was pretty lucid in between the contractions. And so we were actually really worried that the hospital was not going to admit me because I didn't look I'm doing air quotations. I didn't look like maybe I was in enough pain, like I was far enough along in the labor. Even though in my mind, I'm like, I, I'm feeling pretty, um, pretty in the middle of this. Like, I don't know how much, how much further this is going to go. <laughs> um, and so we get, we pull up at the hospital and we're walking in, shuffling in, you know, I can't, I can't hold anything. I can't see anything. I have my sunglasses on because it was a bright sunny day. And so we pull up a little before 2 p.m. And, and the hospital's like, okay, come up. We'll, we'll examine and see, you know, where you're at. And, and as we're getting on the elevator to go up to the fourth floor for the maternity unit, my water broke. And so I was like, okay, well, that's a good sign. I'm in labor. <laughs> and we get up and they take me into a room right away. And um, somebody comes in to examine me and they were like, oh, you're nine centimeters dilated. And I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God. First of all, I can be admitted to the hospital. And second of all, great. That means this, like, this show is on the road. Like, I mean, hypothetically, if you're at nine centimeters, you're, you could be having a baby very, very soon. And so that was just like such a relief. I was like, oh my God, thank you. Um, cause generally I had heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I had heard that, you know, the, the four to eight ish centimeter dilation laboring period is, can oftentimes be the worst. 
And so in my mind, I was like, oh, wow, I've already kind of done the worst. Like I'm going to be able to start pushing and not too long. And, um, so then they, I'm admitted and it was such a great experience. Um, so you're in, I was in Aarhus, which is outside of Oslo and it's like a suite. So there's a, a bedroom kind of that has like the, the bed that you can labor on that can be hooked up to the machines. There's a big bathtub in there. There's a big, um, bathroom and a shower and everything. And then, and then attached to that is like a little bedroom. That's more like that would be the recovery room that you would go to after delivering the baby. And so, and I think that might be the Barshall hotel. I don't know. Um, I didn't experience that. So I'm not sure exactly what that is, but typically in Norway, after you have your baby, you're moved into the hotel for two days um, where you're there with your husband or your partner and your baby. Um, and so I'm not sure if that's the hotel or what it is, but it's this big suite and you, it's private. And so I was there with Jonas and then the midwife who checked me went off duty and the next midwife came on. So in Norway, it's midwives who deliver the babies. And the only time you see a doctor is if, if there's a complication or if something is going wrong. So the midwife is with you the whole time and delivers your baby. And a new midwife came on shift like at 2.15, so like right after we got admitted. And this woman was phenomenal. Jonas and I just loved her so much. And I don't even remember her name. I don't know. It might have been Ana Marta. Marta, my husband would know. And she was just wonderful. And so the room was kind of dark and but you're just hanging out, you're laboring. And so the next three hours were trying to get me from centimeter nine to 10 to push. So one of the things that the, the midwife realized when she examined me is that my baby was, he was in the right position head down, but his head, his body was faced outwards. So towards the belly um, instead of back towards the spine. And so they call this uh, a stargazer baby because when they come out, they're looking up. They want to see the see the stars. And at first, this wasn't too much of a concern. It was like, okay, a lot of times during labor, the baby can will move around and switch, and the contractions, the uterus will kind of move the baby if the baby needs to be moved. So after I got admitted, and I'm at nine centimeters, and she realizes the baby has turned the wrong way, and and was actually still pretty high, which that was kind of a concern as well. Like he wasn't close enough down to uh, the birth canal. So the next part of the labor was really just trying to get the baby down and get him to turn around. And so I was super calm and I was breathing really well and the baby wasn't in distress or anything. And so they just kind of, the midwife was like, all right, let's just let this go and you keep laboring and you know, there's no concern. And so I was like, oh, that's great. And so for those three hours, that was definitely the hardest part of my labor. Um, I was still unmedicated. And I, I mean, I told my husband afterwards, I was like, I don't think I looked at you for three hours. <laughs> like it was just, I mean, it's like, you're so out of it. And 
I just, my eyeballs would just sort of slit open and I could kind of see in between everything. And, and the midwife was calm and my husband was very calm. I, I don't even really remember my husband seeing much. Um, two things from this period stick out. Oh, I puked again. I know that. Um, ladies, if you have not had a baby before, I recommend that you make sure you pack plenty of chapstick. Um, normally I have a lot of lip stuff and, and I had meant to take it with me. Um, but that was one of the things that got forgotten in the rush to get to the hospital. And you're breathing out your mouth so much that, you know, your mouth and your lips get so dry and it was just driving me absolutely crazy. And I kept being like, I need chapstick. I need chapstick. And there was no chapstick. So that was a little bit of a bummer. Um, and so I was walking quite a bit. I was standing. I was laying down. And again, for me, it was mostly just these deep guttural moans when the contractions would come and trying to breathe and relax into them. And the thing that was the most comforting for me, and I don't think this is an accident at all, is um, OM. OM is such a deep, deep guttural vibration. And especially the first part, the, you know, OM is technically four parts. Ah, ooh, mm, and then the fourth part is silent. And the vibrations roll, the ah is at the very back of the throat. The ooh is moving up through the middle part of the tongue and the mouth. And the mmm is at the front of the mouth and the lips. So it's this rolling vibration when you put it all together. And then the silence allows the vibration to settle. And for me, I didn't do it on purpose, but afterwards, again, my husband was like, were you chanting om? And I was like, yeah, actually I was. Not the complete chant, because I couldn't get to the mmm. I could get the ah-ooh. And for me, that felt the most soothing with every contraction. Because it was just this... Oh, through the contraction and then a deep breath, moving, maybe a few sighs, and then, oh. And so this went on for three hours. And then the doula, or not the doula, the, the midwife was like, well, we're kind of, we haven't seen any progress. You're still at nine centimeters and your uterus is getting tired. And so the baby's not moving down. And, you know, we don't really, we have to keep this labor moving at some point. And so a couple of things, I tried to get in the tub because I, I was like, oh my God, I just need water. Maybe that's what's going to help me and relax my body. And, and so they filled up the bathtub. And it's so funny because I, I had this, you know, hope that I would be delivering in the bathtub. And I get in the bathtub, I sit down, and I was so uncomfortable. I tried to change positions in the bathtub and get on my knees and all fours and try different things. And I was like, oh my God, I cannot stand this. It actually almost made me feel sicker. <laughs> I think I was in a total of 30 seconds. And I got out and I was like, nope, that's not happening. Um, I was doing the, the laughing gas. So I was, I was trying that and, uh, or I guess here we call that air in Norway, it's called errant gas. Um, and 
I was really hoping that that would help. And the midwife was like, this doesn't really help with the pain. What it does is it kind of makes you care less about the pain. The problem with the air and gas, and it's, you know, this big, um, I don't know what you call that, a piece that goes over your mouth and your nose, and then you can remove it and it comes in, is you have to be really particular about how you breathe and when you breathe. And then when, you, when you're exhaling, you can't just like exhale after you've inhaled a bunch of the air and gas. Because when you're using this a lot, what happens is you exhale the air and gas into the room and it actually can be um, harmful for the other people in the room. And so I never quite got the hang of how to use that with the breath. Um, and then I would just put it down and I would exhale out. And then the midwife would be like, no, 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 no. Put your mask back on. Put the mask back on. I'd be like, Okay. So that didn't really do too much, and it was just more of a pain and a hassle than, than anything because I just couldn't make it work, and it didn't seem to do anything for me. Again, if anything, I think it just made me feel sicker, but I was just trying everything, like, okay. And then the last thing I tried um, was acupuncture, which worked for sure. So the acupuncturist came in and put all the needles in and they, they, the needles were to stimulate my uterus. So to get more contractions or stronger contractions to try and finish the dilation and to get the baby pushed down a little bit more. And I say it worked because when the acupuncturist came back and removed the needles, certainly <laughs> my contractions felt stronger and more painful. So I was like, oh, that worked. And so they gave me a little bit more time and they were like, the midwife was like, because you are so calm and you're breathing and I'm going to give you a little extra time than I normally would. And she's like, but then we're going to have to start with the medication and the Pitocin. And she's like, we got to get this going. And she's like, I'll give you a little bit more time. I was like, okay, thank you. I'll take whatever time I can get. And so she gave me a bit more time and then she's like, all right, there's not much, there's not much happening here. We're going to have to move on to the next thing. And, you know, I had been really concerned before I gave birth about, first of all, I was worried if there was going to be a language barrier in July in Norway, many people are on holiday. And so I'd heard that oftentimes a lot of midwives will be gone and you might not get somebody who speaks English and and so I was worried about that, and and I was worried about not having an informed consent with all the different stages of the labor and delivery, and so I really wanted to be kept in the loop, and I wanted to be asked permission before things happened, and and I absolutely got that. I felt so safe and so respected the entire time that I was in the hospital, well, not the hospital, <laughs> the entire time I was in labor and delivery, and and I think that really helped me to have a good experience is that I just, I, I felt like I could trust the people who were helping me. And, and I was worried too before about having to take the drugs and how that was going to all go. And at this point in my labor though, I was so tired and I was in so much pain 
that I was just like, okay, I'm ready for the next thing to happen. But I will back up a little bit before that. In those three hours that I was laboring really hard, I remember I, I kept saying in my head, I hate this so much. I hate this so much. And I just kept trying to come back to my yoga practice of the affirmations and and the, and, the, and the practice of when you encounter a negative thought in your mind, you immediately counter it with a positive thought in the mind. It, it doesn't really matter what the thought is, just so long as the charge of the energy of the thought is positive. And so as soon as I would say that to myself, I hate this so much, I would stop and would say, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. And, and it was hard to do that, but I that's part of the practice is, you know, we can't expect immediate results of like, okay, all of a sudden one day I went and I did an asana practice and now all of a sudden I can do full splits and handstand. <laughs> no, it takes practice, perseverance, trust and faith. Those are two of the biggest ones. The intention for it to be a practice, consistency over a long period of time, like all of these I'm saying them very quickly, but each of these things individually is a specific teaching about the practices of yoga that comes from the yoga sutras. And so because I know this and I live this and I practice this, when I was in labor, I had this faith and this belief like, okay, me saying once or twice in my mind, this is beautiful, doesn't make the pain go away. But what it did do is it gave me this teeny tiny little bit of comfort of like, okay, this is hard. It was like this internal acknowledgement. This is hard and I am strong enough. And so even though every time I said it, I wasn't just like, oh, this is amazing. This is beautiful. It was like, this, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. <laughs> and it was beautiful. It is beautiful. It's this time, this moment in time, unlike anything else in your life. And just because it's unpleasant in some ways doesn't make it any less potent or special or important or transformational or life-changing. So that was one of the things that I did that actually, I'm glad I did. And I'm glad I remember that. But it was funny. I was like, oh, I hate this. <laughs> I hate this so much. So then after the three hours, we had tried everything. They'd given me some extra time. And, um, that was when I said, okay, I want an epidural. And I had been worried about the epidural and not that excited to get one. But at this point, I was so done for. And the fact that I had gotten to nine centimeters so quickly, and then now I couldn't get that last centimeter, you know, things weren't going super by the book. So I was like, all right, I need, I need some relief here. And friends, I have to say, getting that epidural was the best decision I made. And I know there's a lot of opinions around medicated versus unmedicated birth. And one isn't better than the other. It's what's best for you in that moment in your experience with your set of circumstances. And I had been hoping for an unmedicated birth because I wanted the experience of what that's like. And I, I didn't end up having that exact experience. And that's fine, because I had my experience. And 
as soon as I got that epidural, oh my God, everything changed. My eyes opened. I could smile. I was joking with my husband. I felt like a million dollars and I was ready to keep going with this labor. And, you know, I had, I had, that's when I was 16 hours into labor at that point. And I had posted something on Instagram and <laughs> I got some messages like, oh my God, you're in the middle of labor and you're Instagramming. And it was because I had all this time and I was like, I wasn't in pain and it was, I was actually really wonderful. And it was so fun to be there and be like in the middle of the labor at that point after going through everything else and get to see my husband and talk with my husband. And I think I ate a few dates. I had some coconut water. And the funny thing was my doula, she was, or my, the midwife, she was like, she was like, well, you still have some time. We're going to give you the Pitocin to kind of help stimulate the contractions. And then we'll see how we are in like, you know, a little bit. And she's like, you seem really fine. Are you okay if I go on a lunch break? And I was like, yeah, go on a lunch break. And so my midwife went, she took a half hour lunch break and I was totally fine. Just, I was in the bed chatting with my husband. And then I realized later I had asked her when she came back, because at that point when she came back too, it was the three of us were just hanging out, chatting about life, chatting about the U.S. And she had some family somewhere in the States and had been there a bunch and, uh, and then she was like, yeah, I don't normally get to go on a lunch break because usually the labor is just going, going, going. And and so it actually made me feel really good that the midwife like was able to take a break herself because what amazing, amazing work that is to be supporting women through the process of labor and delivery. Like I think some of the most important work in the world and for her to be able to take a rest and take a break and use the bathroom and do the things she needed to do, I think is really, really great as well. And I was safe and I was fine, so it didn't matter. So then I had finally gotten to 10 centimeters dilated and everything would have been good to go and start pushing, except the baby was still too high up. He hadn't traveled far enough down into the birth canal area and he was still turned around too in the stargazer position. So um, at that point, the midwife was like, okay, well, you know, we're going to have to start thinking about some alternatives here. Um, but because I was still so relaxed and mellow and calm and I was breathing and the baby was fine, she was like, I'm going to give you a little bit more time uh, to see if we can get the baby down and get you in a position to start pushing. So I was really happy about that. <clears throat> and so let's see what happened next was the, she did like a spinning babies technique. So I laid on my side on the bed and she was like manually moving my hip and my leg and trying to get the baby to turn around and move. And none of that really worked. So then the next step was actually my favorite part of the entire experience where we were trying to use gravity to help move the baby down. So the epidural that I had gotten is, was a walking epidural, which meant it wasn't as strong. So I actually could still walk um, and everything was just kind of numb. <laughs> Very strange, but it was great. And so at that point, I was standing on the, there was like a, I don't even know what you call it, like a, 
like an armrest thing, like a walker. It was a walker. And so I was standing up, um, resting against the walker and just dancing in place. And at that point I had started putting music on. It had been silent up until then. And, and I put some music on and it was Krishna Das, like my just absolute favorite. And it was so beautiful. You know, the room was kind of dark. I was calm. Jonas was calm. The midwife was calm. And I was listening to Krishna Das and, and singing very softly to myself and just sort of swaying in place, doing these figure eights with my hips and kind of shimmying up and down and rubbing my belly and talking to the baby, saying, it's okay, you are safe, we are ready. And, you know, that had been one of my affirmations throughout my entire pregnancy when I would rub my belly and, and talk to the baby. And, and throughout the delivery part is, um, I am ready, you are ready, we are ready. And, you know, I just kept telling him, we're ready, we're ready, you can come, you're safe, it's okay. And there's a lot of different work you can do with affirmations, and, and if anybody's interested, I'm sure you can find out information about that easily. And it it is, it's really nice, it becomes kind of this meditation in itself when you're repeating it and you're and you're sending that energy to the baby, which I think can feel that. But let's see, I did that for about half an hour, and it was just, it was so sweet. And I've described my labor experience before as dreamy, and that was the one word that just kept coming back to me as I was reflecting on this after the fact. Um, I was like, what's the word to describe this experience? And for me, the word was dreamy. And it's because every part that I think back of this experience is kind of, and even when I was in the moment, it was dreamy, where it was just very almost hypnotic. And there were just like whispers of a memory in my mind, or there were whispers of understanding in my mind. And that part was really surreal, like to be in the moment, but then also feel like you're remembering a dream or a memory that you've had before. And when I was in that specific moment of time with Krishna Das, the kirtan, and and swaying, and I felt my body, and I was so at peace, and I was like, wow, I actually could do this for a long time. And, and I wasn't in pain at that point. Um, it was more just, I could feel the contractions when they were coming, uh, so it wasn't like you're completely numb. Like you feel the contractions and it just, they're not as like intense as they would be without the epidural. And so then eventually the, the midwife was like, well, this doesn't really seem to be working. And I've given you all the time that we can give you. In fact, I've given you more than that. And the funny thing was, it was like coming up at 10 PM, like the end of her shift. So she'd been with us like the whole day and, you know, and, and so we had been under the clock. We're like, okay, we have to have this baby before 10 o'clock before she goes off shift. And and it wasn't happening. It was 10 o'clock. But because I hadn't had the baby and it was likely going to, well, at that point it was going to be moving into surgery, um, the midwife actually stayed with us throughout the rest of the experience, which was so great to have her there. So then the doctor and the team of, and her team came in. And here's the other thing, side note, that was so phenomenal is every person involved, almost every person involved with this was female. Um, there were a couple of men in the delivery room, but 
but mostly it was all women and and my doctor was a woman and her staff were women and so it was so cool to really feel like taken care of just in that small way and so the doctor came in and and they did another ultrasound and luckily the baby was still healthy like he wasn't in distress or anything and and the doctor was like okay we've because the midwife had been in communication with the doctor the last like few hours like checking in and being like is it okay if I let her go longer can we do this and and the midwife had been or the doctor had given her the go ahead and so the doctor was familiar with my case and what was happening and the doctor came in and it was pretty no nonsense at this point she was like she's like okay here's the here are your two choices we can try the vacuum extraction and you can keep oh no i'm jumping ahead of myself <laughs> i forgot i forgot a big part of this uh, rewind so after I was dancing, swaying, I was at 10 centimeters and the baby was not in the exact right position, but the midwife was like, okay, let's try it. Let's push. <laughs> I forgot a whole hour of my labor. Um, so I ended up pushing for an hour and really just trying to get this baby down. And, and it was... Um, actually okay for me. Oh, so they had also, they had, they had dripped off the epidural. So the epidural stopped. So that got out of my system. And then they had given me some other type of a painkiller. Um, but I still could feel the contractions and I still could feel what was happening with my body and I could move around so I could like change positions and get on all fours, get on my back, um, try different things. And, and it was really frustrating in some ways because I could feel the baby moving down with each contraction and I'm giving it my all and I'm doing everything I can to get this baby out. And, and then it wouldn't happen. And, you know, yeah, it was just like, so like, okay, come on, come on, come on. I wanted it to happen so badly. And I wanted this baby to come vaginally. And I wanted, I wanted to meet him and I was so ready for this and everybody was great. And, and I had, um, uh, still the music on and I had one of my playlists and there was some Omin and then there was Krishna Das and there was some more upbeat Krishna Das. And, and it was so fun because the midwife, like several times in between contractions, I would look over and and I would see her kind of like bopping her head and kind of shaking her, you know, shoulders a little bit and and was really into the music. And so I thought that was kind of fun too because, I mean, I don't imagine there's a whole lot of kirtan playing <laughs> in labor and delivery and in hospitals in Norway. And um, it was fun. You know, it was just there. There was just a sense that was really sweet and and joyful and relaxed and it was you know this very serious moment of having a baby but it was also just very poignant and and for that I'm grateful to have had that experience and after half an hour she said okay normally this is when we have to make you stop pushing and and call the doctor in and She's like, we're going to give you one more. We're going to give you another half an hour to keep trying. And she's like, this is it. You got, this is your last chance to deliver the baby vaginally. And so I was like, oh, man, I'd already been giving 100%. And I was like, okay, I guess I just keep going. And 
I remember, well, I don't remember being like super tired. I remember just probably the adrenaline, like, okay, let's go, let's do this. And, and I wasn't in pain and I was enjoying it in a, in a strange way. And, and I think I actually could have gone longer than an hour pushing, but she stopped me. And that's when the doctor came in and, and with her staff and the portable ultrasound and they started hooking up my belly to the monitor and, you know, checking the vital signs of the baby again and did an ultrasound and he still hadn't changed position. He was still in the stargazer and he was still a little too high up, um, in the pelvic bowl. So the doctor gave me two choices and, and this is where it got pretty no nonsense. She's like, okay, Jessica, we don't have a lot of time. Like this baby's coming out. I was like, okay, <laughs> the baby needs to come out. And she said, you have two choices. The first choice is to try a vacuum extraction um, where you're still pushing and, and then maybe the baby can be born vaginally. Um, option two is the C-section. And she said, if you try the vacuum and that doesn't work, then C-section is the only other option. Like there's nothing else that we can do. And the problem was not just that he was in the stargazer position, like Occasionally, you can still deliver a baby vaginally in the stargazer, but his head was tilted back. And so what that did is that really increased the circumference of his head that would be coming out the vagina. And it was to the point where it was too big. That position of the head was actually too big to fit through uh, the the pelvic bowl. So it was it was he was hitting the pelvis. Um, or would be hitting the pelvis. And he was just refusing, refusing to uh, change his head position. But the doctor said, we'll try, we can try the vacuum. And I was like, okay, let's try the vacuum. Let's do it. And, you know, if I regret anything, it was trying the vacuum. I think that, but of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I know I ended up having the C-section. So, um but in the moment I was like, okay, I want to try everything that we possibly can before the C-section comes about. And, you know, the vacuum extraction was pretty brutal. Um, they gave me a numbing shot like directly into the vagina. So that was interesting. Um, but I still could feel the vacuum going inside of me and it's, it's, it was pretty brutal. I'm not going to lie about that. Very aggressive. And even though I didn't feel pain per se, I felt very uncomfortable. And so I, she, the doctor said, you get one shot. That's it because he's in such a poor position. And so you got to give it your all. And so they do it on a contraction and you're pushing, pushing, pushing. And the vacuum is, is designed to help pull the baby down to then, you know, kind of catch the wave of the contraction to push the baby out. Unfortunately, it didn't work. He was just too high up there. And and so then the doctor was like, okay, we're done. Here we go. And it was like, boom, boom, boom. I was rolled out of there. There were more people coming. Uh, I was rolled into the, into the um, uh, surgery room. And everything happened super quickly. And, you know, it has to at that point. And I think there were about 15 different people in the OR room with us. And so, I mean, everybody has a job and everybody's talking and communicating and, okay, here we go. We got this, we got that. And, you know, you're, you're strapped down and they're starting um, fluids and they're starting the antibiotics and they're doing, then they had somebody come in to do the spinal tap and 
I was kind of nervous about the spinal tap. Like the epidural wasn't bad, I didn't think. Um, but the spinal tap, I was like, oh my God, I don't know. You know, how's this going to go? And it was actually fine. It wasn't bad at all, I didn't think. Um, but I did get a little nervous because I, I can tend to be anxious. And that's anxiety is a, uh, a vata trait, <laughs> a vata imbalance. And you're strapped down and, and you can't really feel anything from like, you know, the middle of your body, your stomach down. And so I kept like swallowing and being like, oh my God, it was, did something go wrong? Is, you know, is the, the agent that blocks the nerves, is it traveling up? Like, am I not going to be able to breathe? And, you know, so I was freaking out a little bit and, and they kept assuring me, they're like, you're fine. You're fine. If you can swallow, if you can talk, if you can breathe, if you can wiggle your fingers, that was the big one. So I had, I just kept wiggling my fingers the whole time and you're strapped down, your arms are out to a T and, and there's all these different IVs going into you and, and they had the curtain up and, and so usually a C-section is about 45 minutes, uh, 10 minutes to cut you open and get the baby out and then 35 minutes to sew you back up. And for anybody who's not familiar with the mechanics of a C-section, um, just a little heads up. <laughs> it's, it's pretty intense. Um, they cut through nine different tissues, layers of tissue in the body. Um, they have to remove some of your organs, your bladder to get down into the uterus and they're working very, very quickly. And, um, you know, you can't feel anything pain wise, but definitely you can feel a lot of pressure and a lot of movement for me. I could feel my body just like rocking back and forth side to side as they were like just in there moving stuff around in the abdomen and my husband was there and you know this is when I started freaking out a little bit was in the middle of the c-section like when they told me I was going to have a c-section like in in the room I was pretty calm about it I think I cried for like two seconds I was like okay this is real this is happening and and then I kind of was like okay this is happening this is like this is it and, and when they were wheeling me down to the OR room, this was funny that my husband, and I laugh at a lot. Like the reason that they had let me go so long in labor, even though it was pretty obvious it was likely going to be ending in a C-section, emergency C-section, um, was because I, I could breathe so well and I was so calm and, you know, all the yoga, all the meditation, everything had really done its job. Like it had worked. <laughs> and so I was rolling down and I was just like pissed that I was going to have to have the C-section now after all this time and all this labor. And, and uh, I, th I said something to my husband like, oh, I hate yoga. <laughs> uh, that was funny. Anyways, we were in the OR room and my husband was there and, and everybody's wearing their, you know, scrubs and their blue hat. And, and I just started to freak out a little bit and they, they had a hard time getting Oliver out, um, because he was, he was wedged and stuck in my pelvis. And so I found out after the fact, like a lot of that rocking I was feeling was the doctor trying to pull the baby out of the incision, which tore by the way. Um, and, and the midwife putting her hand up my vagina to push the baby back up so that the doctor could pull him out. So it was kind of, it was a double whammy. I had two people inside my body and well, three, if you count the baby, but 
to adult people inside my body. And, and they, they were able to pull him out, get him out. And, you know, I could hear him crying, which was great. And then they took him away right away. Um, which I knew was going to happen because they needed to check his heart right away. And then he was gone for a while. And, and this for me is when everything really took a turn and, uh, it just makes me really sad, but basically as they were trying to stitch me up and, and they, they actually, um, stitch your uterus up outside your body and then they put it back in. It's just easier. Uh, I had lost a lot of blood and I have low blood pressure to begin with. And so usually what happens to, is I'm usually quite cold temperature wise anyways. Um, and I just started shaking uncontrollably and I felt so sick and so like beyond uncomfortable. Like I just, I wanted to get out of my own body because I was just in so much, it wasn't pain, but it was just like, it was, it was intensely uncomfortable. And I've never had a seizure, but I really feel like this is what a seizure might feel like where your body is just shaking violently, uncontrollably. And, you know, my, my eyes just kept rolling back in my head and I just wanted to sleep, but my body was shaking and I was so cold, so cold. And so I just kept saying, I'm so cold. I'm so cold. And I could barely talk through the chattering and the shaking. And, and so they kept trying to give me different, some kind of different drugs. I don't know, to battle the coldness and get my blood pressure up. And, and they kept being like, you're okay. You're okay. And, and that was really nice to hear, but it was still just like, oh my God, I just, I didn't know, you know, it was just, it was really, after having such a nice experience, then all of a sudden, you know, there's all these bright lights and they're just shining down right on you. And, and it's very clinical and everybody's rushing around and everybody has a job and there's 15 people and, and I just had my baby and I, you know, I, I hadn't seen him yet or heard from him. And, and so then what they ended up doing is like the, um, they put like the silver blankets that they use on hypothermia, hypothermia victims. They had one of those that they put over my arms and my chest, and then it inflates with hot air to warm up your body and your body temperature. And, and that helped a little bit, but I still was just shaking uncontrollably. And, and I didn't stop shaking for probably four hours. So it was really quite intense. Um, and so then I'm, I'm still there and they're still, stitching me up and they're still doing whatever they're doing. And, and they come in with Oliver and he's wrapped up and, and they try and put him close to my chest or on my shoulder, basically near my, my cheek. And, and I look at him and I could barely even see him. I was just, I was in this other place and, you know, there's so much we cannot control about the experience of birth. And, especially when you're in an emergency situation and, and, you know, I, I love Eastern medicine and Ayurveda and yet I still very much believe that there's a place for Western medicine and that Western medicine saves lives. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not angry about the fact that I had all these interventions happen, but I am sad because I feel like I really, I missed a lot of that initial, connection and bonding with my baby and 
you know, I know a lot of, a lot of women go through this type of thing. And so it's, you know, it's not unusual, but it's also, you know, this is the way it had to go. And I do believe that. Um, but it still makes it really sad for me, you know, and, and he was laying there on my shoulder and I was so in this other experience, I couldn't enjoy my baby. And all I wanted was for them to get him off of me and get him away. And, and I, I looked at him and I said, I love you. I love you. And then I was like, get him away, get him away, get him away. Because it was so distracting to have that baby there when I was just in this really, really intense, you know, it wasn't painful, but it was like, it was so much and I'm just shaking violently. And, you know, my arms are tied down, thankfully, but I'm, and I'm freezing cold and, and I'm exhausted and it's just, it's so much happening at once. And so eventually they took him away and, and they finished up and they were rolling me back into the recovery room and, uh, my husband had to leave and they took the baby and I went into the recovery room and I was still hooked up. I don't know, to 10 plus different IVs and like, you know, things on my fingers and things on my, like all over my body and, um, and all these different monitors and fluids and, and they had to check me every 10 minutes. <laughs> so, so the idea of rest was not really happening. And, and likely everybody was so kind and nice and, and it was quiet, but there were other people and you could hear other monitors and, and there were, I don't know how many of us in this room with just like cloth dividers between our beds. And, you know, I'm just shaking violently still. And I just kept being like, I can't get warm. I can't get warm. And I just kept telling them, you know, like I need more blankets. And, and then at some point they brought the baby in, I think maybe after like two hours or something, um, they rolled him in. I can't remember if my husband came or not. I don't, I don't, I don't know, you know, and that's the hard part is so much, you know, your mind just blocks out things when you experience trauma and, and, you know, this had been a very, you know, violent is the word that comes to mind, a very violent experience. And after such softness, even in the middle of a, of a very like intense process of giving birth, it went from soft to violent very quickly. And then, so when my baby came in and they were, you know, tried to get me to breastfeed him and I actually had totally forgotten all of this until just a few weeks ago when I was looking back through photos of that time and there's a picture of me in the recovery part of the hospital breastfeeding Oliver. And I, I don't remember that. Um, and I actually don't really remember really holding my baby or, or connecting with my baby until much later. And I know I must have, but I just don't remember that. And, and that makes me sad too. You know, that was, that's like such a big moment for so many women when the first time they put your baby in your arms and especially if you're doing skin on skin and you just, you're like, your baby is there and your baby has made it. And and I didn't get that. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm grateful that I'm healthy-ish and my baby was healthy-ish. But also it's like, this is the only child I'm having. And this was the only experience of birth 
that I'm having. And, you know, I try not to get too wrapped up in like, you know, what Ayurveda teaches about bonding with your child right after birth and the first three months, the postpartum period of the fourth trimester and the first 42 days. And, you know, so much of what I had was, had been hoping for in the postpartum period didn't happen. And, you know, I just keep thinking about grace and I just keep thinking about forgiveness and I just keep thinking about ease and giving ourselves permission to allow things to unfold. And even when we have sadness around it or we have disappointment around it, it doesn't mean that the experience is bad and it doesn't mean that it's not like worthy (laughs) of our memory and our attention and our energy. It just means like, okay, that's the experience we had. And, you know, my, my son is just this light and he is so sweet and he's so calm and he just smiles. And like, now I can see all of this. Um, but I still looking back, reliving the experience, it's, it makes me sad. And my husband, he got to do skin on skin with the baby for a little bit while I was in the recovery room. But then it was really weird because, because I had had such a, a like long labor. And then I had the emergency C-section. I wasn't going to be going to the Barshell hotel with my husband. I had to go to the like observation unit for women that have more complicated deliveries. And so your partner is not allowed to be in that area. Your baby could come, but not the partner. So Jonas got kicked out of the hospital. I got released from the observation or from the recovery unit from the surgery at like five in the morning. And the, Oh, my baby was born at 1133 PM. Um, so labor started early in the morning at 2 a.m. on July 9th, and then it ended at 11.33 p.m. on July 9th. So my baby was born on his due date, <laughs> and I labored the whole day, um, which, you know, it's, it doesn't really mean anything, but funny. Um, he was conceived on October 14th, and he was born July 9th. Like, I know these exact moments in time, and until I was released from the observation or from the recovery unit, my husband, he was stuck in this little like closet waiting area. It was like the size of my small bathroom. And then there was just this little like couchette thing, like a meter long. And he was trying to sleep and he was like curled up on this, like squished up on this little couch. And the baby was there in, um, in like a little clear hospital basket thingy. And so they wheeled me in in a wheelchair and took me into my room. And and I said goodbye to my husband and I got to say hello to the baby. And the thing was that the baby was going to the ICU. Um, He had jaundice and they needed to keep an observation on his heart for a few days. So, so that's hard too. You know, I got separated from my husband. I got separated from my baby. I had this very aggressive experience and you know, I hate saying it is what it is, but I mean, it is what it is. And so I, I, they took me into the recovery room or the observation unit. And, you know, this part makes me a little frustrated because, you know, they put you in with a roommate and my roommate had a baby and the baby was crying the whole time. And I get it, babies cry, but you know, then there's always somebody coming in and coming out to check on the baby. And, I never got a chance to rest and that, that really upsets me because 
I know how important true rest is to the body and the spirit and the mind and the energy. And, you know, if I wasn't going to be able to be with my husband, I wasn't able to be with my baby, then I wanted to rest. I wanted to sleep. I wanted to heal. And, and that wasn't really my experience either. And, you know, you're so incredibly vata vitiated after labor or during labor and then after. And, and what you need is grounding. You need quiet. You need stillness. You need warmth. You need nourishing foods and teas. You need calm, sweet energy. You need oil massages on your feet. Like there's all these things that I think can really help help a woman after this. And I unfortunately wasn't able to have much of that. And and there were private rooms. Eventually, I was moved to a private room. But I mean, I guess there weren't any, or I don't know what the case was. But it was really a bummer, big bummer. And then, and then this happened and this, this was the, not the worst part. This was a funny slash infuriating part as well. So I had spent weeks preparing this beautiful Ayurvedic postpartum food and, you know, we had packed it in a cooler and, and I had my bags with me. I had all my stuff that I needed and wanted expecting to be in the hospital for two days with my husband and my baby in the hotel. And, so as they're rolling me in and the nurses are helping me bring all my stuff into my shared room. Um, so it's like five in the morning. I'm exhausted. I'm still loopy and I don't do well with surgery. I don't do well with medication. And so I really feel the effects of all of that. And, and I'd been shaking for four hours and I had a massive surgery and I pushed for an hour and I'd had, you know, all of this stuff. Like I wasn't in very good shape. And one of the nurses was like helping me move my stuff and she moves the cooler and she's like, what is this? So confrontational. I said, oh, I, I, I made myself some food that I wanted to eat. And, you know, I'm, I'm on this, you know, special diet, this Ayurvedic diet. And, and she was like offended. And she was like, well, if you have a special diet, like we can do anything you want here. We can do vegan, we can do vegetarian. And I was like, well, it's actually more about like the spices that are in it. And, and now imagine me basically drugged up and exhausted after the biggest physical event of my life. And, and all I want to do is sleep. And, and this woman's like, Oh, okay. Well, what, you know, what, what is Ayurveda? And I was like, Oh, it's, you know, it's kind of related to yoga and it's based on some energies. And, you know, it's really important after having a baby to really ground and nourish and, and she she kind of left it. And then she comes back like five minutes later with like yellow sticky pad. And she says, will you write down the name of this diet? Like in that tone. I was like, oh my God, okay. So I wrote down Ayurveda slash sattvic, you know, in case like that maybe made more sense when she looked it up. So she left. She comes back half an hour later. <laughs> so I looked up this Ayurveda and it looks like it's a really rigid diet and it's not very good for you. And it looks like it's based on these three dosha things. And, and why are you doing this? And, and I just was like, well, first of all, in my mind, I was like, it, excuse me, I just had a baby. Um, second of all, it's not my job to educate you in this exact moment in time. You know, I was just like, God, this woman is crazy. Um, and, and so I just kind of was like, uh, I was like, yeah, well, you know, this is what I believe in and, and I think it works. And I really, 
want to follow this. And, and she just kept kind of pushing me. And she was like, um, uh, oh, I, I, I made a comment like it's, it's one of the oldest medicinal systems in the world, which it is. It's older than traditional Chinese medicine. And, and she was like, well, there's no scientific data to back it up. And, and it just seems like it's really strict and not good for you. And I just was like, I'm not going to argue with this woman. And so I just was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. Um, excuse me. There are plenty of scientific research and data to back up Ayurveda and its efficacy. And I just, I was like, oh my God, woman. So she ended up like not liking me very much. <laughs> and, and unfortunately I, I had her on shift for two more times and like, uh, one time this was, of course, you know, I was, I was, oh my God, this woman just drove me crazy. And I was like, I just need to rest. I need to be calm. I need to be nurtured. And you're just aggravating me. And, um, I had somebody who was coming to pick up my placenta to have it encapsulated. And, um, luckily our midwife who had been in the delivery with us, had known that I wanted to keep the placenta and she had found something to put it in and she was so helpful and so great. And she stored it in that, in the refrigerator and the nurse's unit or something. So I knew where it was. And so I'm, I was coordinating with this woman who was coming to the hospital to pick it up. And with Corona, she couldn't come inside. So I needed to have somebody from the nurse's unit, take the box with the placenta down to meet her. And it was this whole thing. Well, guess, guess which uh, nurse was on shift when the doula was coming to pick up my placenta. Yes, Mr. Mrs. Judgy Judgerson. Um, and so, I mean, luckily she did it, but like you could tell she had such an attitude around it and was just like, oh, I'm really busy. We're short staffed tonight. I'm like, oh, sorry. I mean, what do you want me to say to you? And then the last night that she was on shift, um, you know, I was I was in so much pain. And I usually don't take any kind of painkillers. I don't even take aspirin usually. Um, but I was in so much pain and they were, they were pretty good the first two, two or three days about, you know, giving me the pain medication, when to take it and all that. And I was starting to run out and I hadn't been given any more. And I was like, I needed more, legitimately needed more. And I, I asked her and it was probably like six in the morning. And I was like, I was like, please, do you think I could get some more painkillers? And she was like, she was like, well, you know, you've already had a lot like throughout the three days, not like in that moment, but throughout three days. I'm like, yeah, are you kidding me? Um, I just was sliced open and had a difficult delivery. And and she's like, you know, I think I'd just feel better if you waited until the next shift, which started at eight o'clock. She's like, can you just wait until eight? And I was like, again, I'm not going to argue with this woman. And so I was like, yeah, that's fine. Like she didn't either want the hassle of, of getting it for me or I don't, I don't know. I was just like, it's your job to help the women in your unit. Like, I don't understand why you would become a nurse or a midwife. I'm not sure exactly what she was. I think a nurse and, and not want to help the women in your unit. Like, I'm sorry, I can't be the only weird person you've had. Anyways, the whole thing was strange and, and it just took away from my focus and my baby and, and me and healing and recovering. And, and now I was distracted by this, you know, stupid woman but oh well and then and then to add insult to injury I ended up staying in the hospital too long and they wouldn't um 
uh, I couldn't store my food in the fridge or anything. So all my beautiful Ayurvedic food spoiled. <laughs> so that was a real bummer. Um, and so I ended up having to eat some food that I wouldn't usually eat and eating it right after birth, you know, his, it wasn't what I had planned. And so again, just coming up with this idea of grace and being kind to yourself and, and allowing yourself to do what you need to do in any moment and not being so tied to your expectations that the expectations then cause you pain and disappointment when they're not realized. And so I just, I was like, okay, you know what, Jessica, let it go let it go, let it go. Like, just take care of yourself. You need food, you need calories. And so, I mean, luckily I had um, packed more of my Ayurvedic snacks, like some Ojas balls I had made and, and some dates. And so I, I ate a lot of that stuff when my other food had gone bad. But still, you know, it's just, it's disappointing. And, and I, I couldn't have somebody bring me food. I couldn't, it had to be from that hospital. And anyways, so Oliver was in the ICU, and so we could go visit him, and, and Jonas was allowed in to visit him. So we would go and sit with him and hold him, and I would feed him and try and breast pump, and, you know, my body was just on shutdown mode. So it took a really long time for my milk to come in, and and he's hooked up to all these monitors, and he's under the lights, and, you know, there's a lot of different appointments. I will say, though, the women in the ICU were just total angels, and so kind and so sweet and so loving to my baby. And it really made Jonas and I feel a lot safer and a lot better about, you know, anything that, that our baby was going through. And, um, they were just so kind and it, that's exactly, you know, when you're working with these infants and, and, you know, our baby ended up being totally okay. Like they just monitored his heart. It was fine. They had him under the lamp for the jaundice for a few days. He was fine. You know, and I was looking at, at some of the other babies in this unit, and and they had very serious health issues, born super prematurely, or I don't even know what some of the other issues were. But, you know, some of these families, like, live at the hospital when their baby is in the ICU for a long period. And I just looked around, and I felt so sad for those parents and, and how hard that must be for them. And, you know, and so at the end of the day, even though I'd had a kind of a, a, it wasn't at all the experience I had hoped for, I was able to still find this like gratitude in the fact that my son was still healthy and he just needed a little extra help. And then he was going to be going home and everything was fine. And I think, you know, I, I, I don't, like to usually try to compare myself to other people because I think that's oftentimes a dangerous game. But when it comes to health, your health, your family's health, we need to be reminded of oftentimes how lucky we are. And we need to stay in that place of gratitude and, and really not take for granted our health and take for granted when things are a little easier for us than they might be for other people. And, you know, I really had that lesson when I went through my cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment and, and really, really faced my own mortality in that moment. Um, 
Synovial sarcoma is a very rare cancer. It's a very aggressive cancer. It's a very deadly cancer. And, and in fact, there's not even that many treatment options for it because it just, there's not enough people to research and try things on. And, and, you know, so there's a lot of unknowns around these rare cancers. And so, so that brings in a lot of fear. And when I was able to be declared NED, no evidence of disease, um, there was just this sense of like deep gratitude and and that's what i felt when my son was born healthy and at the end of the day you know and that's what moms that's what moms do is we give and we give and we give and it's because our love is never ending like it's just like this bottomless well of like we keep giving and keep giving and keep giving and and I think that is just miraculous. And I've been thinking a lot about different moms and different situations of mothers throughout history and at different places and the lengths that mothers are willing to go to to protect their children and the love of a mother and the, the hormones that that love creates in our body, the oxytocin, the love drug. And so then on, I, on the other hand, I was like, oh, well, of course I'm going to do whatever it takes to have my baby be healthy and safe and even if I'm suffering in that process a little bit. Now, of course, sidebar, yes, there is an extent to which we could give too much and that becomes harmful to us. Um, this is why our self-care practices are so important as mothers and, 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 and setting strong boundaries to really recruit the people in our life around us to help us maintain those boundaries so that we're not just giving, giving, giving in ways that are really not just the ways a mom should give. Like, I'm sorry. Other people can do the dishes, the laundry, the cleaning, not just moms. But when it comes to breastfeeding <laughs> or it comes to um, the maternal instinct that a mother has, like those can't really be recreated by other people. Okay, sidebar over. So after four days, I was moved into a room in the ICU, the parents' room in the ICU. So I had been discharged. Um, and I was just, I was still in so much pain and, you know, they say you need to start walking right away after a C-section and, and I did start walking, but it, it's a lot. It's really a lot. And, and then Oliver had, and we didn't name Oliver until his third day in the hospital. We, um, we had a couple of names we were still batting around and we just couldn't decide. And then finally, Oliver Hayes was the name that we had picked when at like five months and we, we had decided that was his name. And then, and then like by month seven, seven and a half, we were like, wait a minute, is that the name we need to like? And so then we started considering all these other names. Um, we really liked Johan. We really liked Samuel, something that would work in both English and Norwegian. And so he was born and everybody kept asking us in the hospital, what's it like in a curious way, what's his name? What's his name? And so then when, when we were checking out, we hadn't told anybody. And they're like, well, what's his name? And we're like, oh, Oliver. And one of the nurses in the ICU, she's like, oh, we've all been wondering. I'll, I'll make sure everybody knows what his name, what you named him. And so it was kind of fun. Uh, yeah. And so we went home. And my mother-in-law came for a week. And my sister-in-law came that next weekend so we went home on a Monday evening, and he was born on a Thursday. 
And, you know, this is the hard part too, is I really, I had a, I had a pretty strong postpartum plan and, and things that I wanted to have happen and for my food, for my self-care. And, you know, unfortunately a lot of those things didn't happen for a variety of reasons. Um, one, I was just in a lot more pain than I expected. I was, I was limited in a lot more ways than I was expecting. And, you know, I don't have a big community around me, especially not where I live, um, kind of in the country outside of Oslo. And I really have seen through my own experience how important it is to have community around women in terms of uh, new moms. And I did have people reach out and say, hey, if you ever need anything, I'm there. And, And it was so sweet to get those messages from other moms. And I really appreciated those. And just even small little gestures like make such a big difference to a new mom and your hormones are all over the place and you're so tired to your bones and you don't know, you know, if the things happening with your baby are normal or if, you know, something's wrong with your baby or there's a lot of, I had a, I had a lot of doubt around this experience of becoming a new mom and, and not really having too many other women to ask or, you know, to know. And, and I really believe that the Ayurvedic principle of mother, the mother is legitimate after somebody has given birth. And, and it was great to have my mother-in-law here and, and my husband certainly helped, but it wasn't quite the same as if I'd had maybe more of like my yoga community, um, closer and nearby. And, and I live far away. I live an hour outside of Oslo. So I get that part of it. And, and the biggest thing though, I think that was really, really hard. And I mean, devastating in fact, is the fact that my own mother couldn't be here and she was planning to come at the end of my pregnancy and then be here after I had the baby for a few weeks. And, you know, not everybody has a great relationship with their mom. I do. And and my mom does yoga and is into Ayurveda and loves yoga nidra and and gets my perspective on how I'm living my life in a yogic way and and also this is my only child and it's it's you know my mom didn't my parents had given up on the idea of me having a baby because I waited so long and and it was so funny my mom stopped asking me about it when I turned 35 or after right after I turned 35 and then and then when I we told my parents that we were pregnant, um, right before Christmas, we were in Iceland, and I had wrapped up some baby things and gave it to them, and and then Jonas was on FaceTime, and we were recording it, and it took my parents a very long time to understand what we were trying to tell them, that I was pregnant, because it like literally had left their realm of possibility. And and so it was just so special that like, oh my God, there's there's a baby, and it's coming, and it's healthy, and and you know, to have that experience. It's not, you know, a lot of people have had, you know, huge sadness in 2020 and weddings have had to be canceled and people haven't been able to go to funerals and, and so much. I I understand there's been so much, um, you know, with immigration, you know, couples have been split apart where they can't travel or they can't be with their partner or their family and so many things. And, and for me, you know, I'm only having one baby. And so this, this was it. And so it's not like I can do it again next year or, you know, my mom can be here for the next one or 
anything like that. Like this was it. And I really saw how much I needed my mom and how much I needed her to be there with me after I had the baby. And I just, all you can do is breathe. When there is sadness and there's big emotion, you know, that's an experience I will never get to share with my mother and and I needed I needed her and she wanted to be here so bad and Americans aren't allowed to aren't allowed to come to Norway and to reframe my experience and to make peace with my disappointment that's a lesson that I have and you know, it doesn't feel fair and it doesn't feel good. You know, when I see all these other women having babies and and their mom is there and their sister is there and they have, you know, this, this joy. It's very joyous and it's very, it should be celebrated and it should be just a wonderful time. And, and for me to be physically so drained and then also to feel emotionally upset, you know, that was very difficult. And, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm processing that loss. And the good news is, you know, at least we have FaceTime and I, I FaceTime with my parents every day and they get to see Oliver and, you know, I get to talk with my parents and, but it's also different. You know, if my mom had been here, I know she would have been rubbing my feet every day and, and, and really, you know, reminding me to stay in bed and rest when I needed to and, 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 you know, just taking care of me. And I think so many of us as women, we feel bad saying we need to be taken care of and we feel like we have to be super women and we feel like we have to do everything. And, and if we say that we need something or we want to be selfish ourselves, we're somehow bad mothers. And that's not true at all. Like our babies are going to be just fine. A little newborn is always going to be taken care of by somebody. <laughs> That's the truth. But it's the mothers, the new mothers, who often get forgotten in the shuffle and and need to be babied themselves by other people, by their community, by by other women and other caregivers. And um, you know, that that was something that was also hard for me to reframe from my own experience. Like, okay, you know, I am taking care of myself here. And, and yes, my husband was here and other family members were here, but it's not the same as your own mom. And, and that's just the way it goes. You know, the good news is I'm, I'm going to be going to the U S and at the end of October and I will see my family and they'll get to meet my son and, and that will be wonderful. And we're so excited about that, but it's a lot. And and all of this experience is really making me think about how we need more women being more vocal about how transformational the process of giving birth and becoming a new mom is and, and transformational on every level. 
And we need, as a society, to be supporting new moms more. And that's just hands down across the board. And so I've really been thinking about like, okay, well, what does that look like and how do we do that? And and the first thing that I can think of is just talking about it, spreading the message, sharing resources. Um, This episode is being released in conjunction with the list of my resources that I know of for pregnancy and postpartum and really strengthening the network that we can have in our communities so that women know where to go. They know, first of all, what to ask for. Um, I know when I was in Trondheim and I was at a, at a teacher training and when I was pregnant and talking about my doula that I was using and and several of the women who were mothers had not heard of a doula before and didn't know what a doula was. And to me, that was a really big indication that as a society, we are failing our women. Like, we need to be taking care of each other and we need to be going out of our way to make this a priority. And so that's something I'm really interested in is starting that conversation, connecting people with resources, connecting women with other women who can help serve them. And and so I've got some ideas and, and some things coming up that I'll be announcing later. Um, so anyways, as I moved into the postpartum period and... I was still in so much pain and, and by the end of my, not even the first week, I guess all my pain pills had had ended and I, I was taking, um, Paracet and I had to take Paracet as often as I could, as you were allowed to, because if I missed taking my two 500 grams or milligrams, I would just be in excruciating pain and, And it got to the point by the next weekend where I was just, I was shuffling from my bed to the bathroom and sitting or standing up from sitting was just the most intense, terrible, painful experience. And and then I started bleeding through my bandage on my C-section. And here's the thing which shocked me, and yet I don't know why I'm shocked. When I left the hospital, there was no instruction on aftercare. There was no... Um, I wasn't told when I could start showering again. I wasn't told when to change the bandage. I was given an extra bandage, but I wasn't told when to change it. I wasn't told warning signs to look out for. I wasn't told there was no follow-up scheduled. Um, the only thing that would have been scheduled would have been my six-week postpartum with my GP or the midwife. You choose. You're, you're uh, assigned midwife, not the one who was in the labor with you. You're assigned one at your your health station. Um. So by the end of that weekend, I was like, man, I don't know about this. And I was so lucky to be able to be talking with my cousin, who's an OBGYN, who did a, who does a lot of, um, or deals with a lot of high-risk pregnancies and, and is in surgery every day. And, and so she was able to help kind of answer some of my other questions. But at some point on Sunday, I called the hospital and I was like, the birth unit. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I'm in a lot of pain and I don't know if this is normal. And, and I've, I've been bleeding through the bandage and, and you're not really supposed to bleed that much. And so they're kind of like, well, I don't know, maybe we'll just have you wait until tomorrow and you can come into like the general clinic. And, and then they talked with each other and they called me back and they're like, well, why don't you just come in? Like, okay, we'll let you come in. (laughs) And I came in and, and it ended up being a really good thing I did. Um, I had a hematoma and 
So what they ended up doing was cutting the stitches open. Yes, it is as painful as it sounds, so painful. And then they basically massage your abdomen, which, mind you, is so swollen and so numb. And so, I mean, your organs are inflamed. Like everything feels just like, I mean, you've been in a boxing match with Mike Tyson. And and then they start this pretty aggressive massage. And all of a sudden, just all this blood just comes gushing out the now opened incision on my abdomen. And it was so much blood and it went everywhere, soaked through my pants, got all over the the bed and the, the sheets. And and so then they have to keep, they, they clean it and then they keep massaging and they keep getting more fluid out. And, and it's, it's very, very painful. And luckily I had, and then finally the doctor was like, yeah, it's a really a good thing you came in. I was like, yeah, well, I wouldn't have known because I had no information about any sort of complications that could happen from the surgery. By the way, this is not some easy peasy, like in and out. This is a very invasive surgery. And I, you know, I, I get the idea on one hand of like, oh, every, you know, so many women have babies every day and it's like, you know, my own GP was like, oh, well, we don't treat pregnancy as a disease here. It's not an illness. I was like, well, yeah, that's true. But now the pendulum has swung so far that we're downplaying how big of an impact pregnancy and birth actually are on a woman that now we've just kind of made it this like afterthought of like, oh yeah, you just had a baby, like whatever, get over it. When really, I mean, if you consider any other surgery, like you have a knee surgery or um, even when I had my wrist surgeries with my cancer um, or I had a wrist surgery years before that, I broke my wrist in a snowmobile accident. I mean, they give you this whole printed out sheet. Here's what to look for. Here's how often to take pain medications. Here's when we're going to see you back. Here's when you need to start physical therapy. Here's like every little thing about taking care of your body after a surgery. And a C-section is so much bigger than that. And yet, I mean, abdominal surgery is one of the most intense types of surgeries you can have. And it's just, they're so, but because it's related to birth, it's just like, oh, whatever, you know, no big deal. Suck it up, mom. Um, by the way, you're not really supposed to be lifting much after a C-section. And you're not even really supposed to be driving a car, like putting a pressure on the brake or slamming on the brakes can can mess something up. And and yet you're carrying this this baby and you're breastfeeding and it's, I don't know. And then they say, okay, do nothing for six weeks. And then as soon as you hit that six week mark, you're cleared to do everything again. Like there's no in-between period where normally for a surgery, a, a different type of surgery, they say, okay, well, in weeks one to two, ice it, rest, stay off it. Weeks three to four, start gentle movement, start this, start biking, start walking, start whatever. And then weeks, you know, five and six, then you start with some gentle strength training or whatever, depending on what kind of surgery you had. Like it's a gradual return to activity. And with a C-section, it's nothing. It's like nothing for six weeks and then everything after six weeks. Uh, that doesn't really work either. Then there's no indication about the pelvic floor, any kind of pelvic dysfunction you could be having or having or keeping an eye out for organ prolapse or incontinence or so many of these things that happen to most women after they have a baby, whether it's vaginally or, or via C-section. Um, yeah, fun fact, you can still actually have incontinence and uh, 
and uh, painful sex after a C-section, you know, most people think it's because of having a vaginal delivery where there's trauma to the um, pelvis. But C-section, the scar tissue, I didn't know this. And I found it out only because I did a lot of research and I got in contact with the right people. Um, but the scar tissue that grows underneath, so moving in in your body underneath the the incision, the the scar tissue starts to actually adhere adhes to your organs, and, and your bladder is the first one it comes to the scar tissue. So the scar tissue can actually start to connect and grow into the bladder, and that can create pain and incontinence. And there's so much information that women are not told. I'm really lucky because I I already had a lot of these resources and I kind of was aggressive about looking them out. Um, And so it's just shocking to me that the the level of disservice that is done to women on a daily basis in regards to information about recovery after having a baby. And so once I was in the hospital or I went back to the hospital and they drained the hematoma and and I was lucky that I'd gone in before it got infected, which would have been even way worse. Blah. Um, and so then I just had to, I had this open wound, like they don't close it back up or anything. So they have this open wound and you just have to keep an eye, quote unquote, keep an eye on it. <laughs> okay. What does that mean? Uh, and so I ended up having to go back to the hospital again. A few days later, they drained it a second time. Um, and then, and then that was it. I just had to wait for it to heal on itself and and it it did. You know, right now I'm in a pretty good position almost 3 months out. Um and the other thing that's so frustrating and annoying is like everything I found online, every resource is geared towards what your scar looks like. Like the actual scar. Everyone's like, "Oh, don't worry, you can, you know, make the scar look less ugly and gross." And I'm like, "I don't I don't really care what the scar looks like. That's the least of my worries. I'm more concerned about the function of my body and my pelvic health. I'm more concerned about diastasis recti and how um, having a massive abdominal surgery could impact my ability to get my core strength back. And yet these are the things that aren't being talked about. It's the aesthetic superficial, what does your scar look like? It's just maddening. Um, You know, and if you I mean, of course, care about what the scar looks like. That's fine. But that shouldn't be the only thing we're worried about or talking about or telling other women about. Um, One third of women after having birth have some kind of organ prolapse. One third have painful sex and one third have incontinence. And these are the types of things that are really not, that many women are ashamed of and don't want to talk openly about. And that's also something that I think needs to change in our society. And I want to be part of that conversation and changing that so that we can talk more openly about what actually happens to our bodies during and after birth and, you know, removing the stigma and the shame of that and just being like, Hey, this is reality. And when we suffer in silence because we're too embarrassed to talk about something, we suffer. And that then has an impact on every area of our life, our emotional health, mental health, our relationships with our partners. And so being able to be like, hey, wow, okay, this is happening. This doesn't feel right. Should I still be having pain at this point? I don't know. These are all the things that we need to be discussing, I think. So 
yeah, I ended up healing. And after, after the complication from surgery and, and it's something that's ongoing, like I'm working a lot with an osteopath and I'm doing a lot of really specific exercises. Um, I haven't really thought much about my weight. I'm still 20 pounds over my, my normal weight. Um, and I, I'm just not even rushing that because it's the, the least of my concerns. Like I really want to focus on my pelvic health and my core strength. And, and you want to work on the, the TVA, like the transverse abdominus, the really low, deep abdominal muscles, um, sometimes called the corset muscles that hold everything up and in and together. And if you work on that slowly and in the correct way, then you're going to really help mitigate a lot of the issues you could be having down the road. And so many of the birth injuries are still present or don't even show up for years down the line after you have a baby. And so for me, really focusing on the internal health and function has been my focus, not really so much the outer. I'm like, okay, I can get to the outer at some point. Um, but for right now, how do I keep my body as healthy as possible without worrying about what it looks like? And, and that is hard when there is so much emphasis from the external world on like, oh, bounce back. And, you know, I, I still can't put on any of my pre-pregnancy clothes, even my largest boyfriend jeans. <laughs> and that's, that is a little bit of a bummer. Like I'm ready to get out of my yoga clothes, my, my pregnancy yoga clothes. But, oh, well, that's just... After my whole experience, that's like really the last thing I need to be fo focusing on. So now at three months, almost three months out, um, I mean, my world has changed and I'm in love with my baby and, and he's just a total joy and so calm, which I'm really grateful for. Um, I know not all babies are that way and, and he sleeps a lot and he's just chilling. And so now we're, we're figuring life out together and every day he's changing and something new has happened. And he just, his smile just lights up. Oh my God, everything around him. And yeah, learning how to become a mom and, and what that means and how my identity has changed and how no matter where I go, there's always this other part of me. Like I've done a few things alone without the baby. I went to a sauna and I think I've been to somewhere else. Oh, I got a massage one day. Um, you know, but it's, it's, I'm 39 when I had my baby. I'm used to a whole life of being autonomous and making my own choices and spending my time and my money and my energy in the way I wanted to. And now all of that has shifted. Everything is about this little baby and how can I create the best life for him and the best experience for him and our family. And it's just, it's so much fun, fun to see this little guy like grow and, and to, to make plans and think about what our life will be like together and all the things I get to teach him and, and all the things I'm going to learn from him. And yeah, it's just really wonderful. And I'm, I'm grateful to have had all of these experiences and it's going to take me a while to really sift through and process everything that's happened. But for now, um, I feel like I'm a bit more on the other side. I feel like physically I feel pretty good. Um, I'm pretty tired, but that's normal. 
And other than that, I'm just, I'm starting to feel a lot more just joyful. So I think that's where I'm going to leave it. This was a really long episode. Thank you if you've listened the whole way through. Um, I love talking about it. And I love hearing other women's experiences. And every experience is so different, which is just phenomenal to me. Like the same basic thing is happening, and yet so many things are different in that experience. So mamas, listeners, um, that's it. That's all. I'll be back in a few more months with the start of season five. Got some amazing guests lined up. And until then, just stay in touch, stay well, deep breaths. Namaste. Namaste.